BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Bunch going on. On the line with us is Amy Vanderpool. Uh, Amy is a lawyer and writer. She is Shiro, S-H-E-R-O, on Substack, Inc. That is Shiro.substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. Her Twitter handle, Girls Really Rule. And the way I learned about Amy is from Judd Legum's newsletter. He had mentioned her, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And so I subscribed to her more or less daily email riff, and she just comes up with fascinating stuff. Amy, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. You did a really good deep dive into this whole thing with Marina Yovanovitch, our former ambassador to Ukraine, and how essentially, I mean, I, I believe you put it, she was pushed out by mobsters and Fox News. For people who don't know who she is and really aren't, don't even have a passing familiarity with what we're talking about here and what's going on, can you kind of start at the beginning and bring us up to speed? Sure. Well, Ambassador Marie Yanovanovich was a longtime diplomat who served overseas in Ukraine, and she had done that for decades. I mean, she has been there forever. She's incredibly experienced. She knows what she's doing. And she testified to Congress in the impeachment inquiry about how she had started to hear rumors that, you know, Trump was kind of trying to oust her and that Giuliani didn't like her and that, you know, people had real problems with her. And she gave her testimony to Congress, and they just recently released the entire transcript of that testimony. And in it, she details all of the different things that happened, including all of the times that, you know, Trump sort of put her down and then essentially fired her, asked for her to come home and told her, you know, she was done. And how no one within the State Department, you know, called her to see what was happening or offered to support her or could really assist her with trying to figure out how to placate Trump other than, Sondland telling her that she should try to flatter him because that's what worked. And essentially, this was all done and assisted by Fox News, by Donald Trump Jr., by Breitbart, by the alt-right media conspiracy theorists who, when Trump started to become dissatisfied with Yovanovitch, started to, you know, spin stories. An author on the Hill did it about how she was incompetent and how she wasn't doing her job properly. Laura Ingram did shows about how she wasn't doing her job properly and she should leave. And, and they helped to spin this narrative that she deserved to be fired and that she should have gone. And the truth is that she was sort of a last stop with the Trump administration and sort of standing up to saying, you know, this behavior with Ukraine isn't okay. And she would have 
definitely called out the quid pro quo, and that's why they got rid of her. And they used Fox, and they used, moreover, they used the recently arrested Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, associates of Rudy Giuliani, who were essentially low-end mobsters in Ukraine, to help oust her because they started going around giving campaign donations to different Republican people, including Sessions in Texas, to try to get into Trump's ear about getting rid of Yanovanovich. And it worked. So all of these different people, mobsters and Fox News, assisted in sort of helping Trump to defame her falsely. How unusual is that, that an administration would attack an ambassador who's a professional, who's been in the field, who's been working in the State Department for, what, 20, 30 years she's been doing this? Yeah. How unusual is that? Incredibly unusual. I mean, considering that, you know, the executive agency, the president within the executive agency appoints his ambassadors and can pick and choose who he wants to keep and who he wants to replace. These are the same people that are on his side. It's, it's just as unusual as Trump going after his own FBI and CIA. It's absolutely mm. unheard of. Wouldn't um, it have been possible for him to not drag her through the mud and not essentially harass her publicly like this? Hey, you know, people aren't sitting around having conversations over coffee about the ambassador to Ukraine. You know, I think if right. he had simply said, to Mike Pompeo, for example, who's her boss, you know, the Secretary of State, you know, this woman is not playing ball with us in Ukraine. And, you know, we're trying to do this, this whole thing where we're blaming, you know, blaming the DNC hack on Ukrainians instead of Russians. And we're trying to get them to find some dirt on Joe Biden and she won't play ball. So why don't you just assign her to someplace else, send her to Cameroon or something. And it just could have happened quietly and nobody would have noticed. And, you know, except for her. And why this? It seems like almost a need. I mean, Donald Trump Jr. apparently has outed the whistleblower, you know? He did. And, yeah, he did. Yeah, as did Breitbart. And he now, used Breitbart to right. out them. And then he made another tweet that said that it was preposterous that he was assisting the White House to do it, even though he's been assisting his father to do all of these things all along. Right. And the whistleblower does not have federal government protection. That was a misunderstanding in the part of 60 Minutes. And his lawyer just came out and said, this person is afraid for his life. So what's the deal? Why do they feel like they they have to destroy people when they could simply work around them. I think there's two reasons. I think that first, it's indicative of the fact that there was ill intent on behalf of the Trump administration to cover up what was happening. You know, if it was a case of Yovanovitch just simply not sort of playing along with the Trump administration, not fitting in, not really working on things in the way they wanted, then he certainly could have said, you know what, it's just not working out. You know, you've been here a long time, but you're from Obama. I'm not feeling it and done what you had said. But the fact that he knew that, had he said, okay, she's a danger to me because she is going to, you know, report the fact that I'm doing this quid pro quo, means that he knew it was wrong and he had to cover his tracks. And then the second thing is, I think that it's just Trump's MO. I think that it's what he does. It's what he knows. You know, in order to get rid of somebody, he has to appear like the good guy. He's the narcissist that has to be this great, wonderful savior and the victim and somebody else has to be at fault. And so he couldn't just get rid of her. He had to completely defame her and make all of these accusations and try to ruin her professionally because she wouldn't do what he wanted. It's what Trump does. You know, Michael Cohen testified about this when he was in Congress. He said, you know, Trump doesn't tell you what to do. He doesn't need to. You know what you're supposed to do. It's like it's like the mafia, like a mobster thing. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, that's that's where I was going. Lamar Walter and I wrote a couple of books back 15, 20 years ago about the mob activity in the 60s. And, you know, specifically uh, Carlos Marcello and some 
Santo Traficante. And these guys killed people routinely, but killing somebody because you wanted to get rid of them or get them out of the way was typically the secondary purpose. The primary purpose of the killing was to say to the other 30 or 50 or 300 or 500 people who might be in their sphere of influence, this is what happens to people who mess with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you better stay in line. Right. So do you think that that's and what Trump I, is it, doing? He's trying to, and this is all like the subtext of Don Jr.'s message is anybody in the government who knows about crimes that this administration is committing and is thinking about becoming a whistleblower better think twice. Right. If you go against me, I'll destroy you. And he does it in every context. He does it with anyone who goes against him on any level. It's not just, you know, within the capacity of the presidency. It's the women who are speaking out against him with the rape allegations. It's Mm. the people who just won't play ball in the way he wants. And he's smart enough to know what he should and shouldn't be discussing and when he should get out of it. You know, I think it's interesting that he sent Pence to Warsaw in his place when things were heating up. And when there were prime discussions going on with Zelensky about this aid, it's like he knew what was coming and he knew that he couldn't be there for that situation and have direct contact in those meetings. And that's when he sent the referred three amigos, Perry and Sondland and Volker over to sort of handle business behind the scenes while Pence, in my opinion, Pence, of course, knows about all of this, knows about it and is conducting all of the ceremonial stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's extraordinary. Amy Vanderpool Shiro. Amy, what's the very best website for people to find your newsletter? You can find me at shiro.substack.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Girls Really Roll. Okay, cool. Amy Vanderpool, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thanks so much, Tom. It was fun. My pleasure. Great talking with you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The headline in the New York Times, Trump's Twitter war room aims its punches at decorated colonel. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who testified about, he was on the Ukraine call and testified that he was concerned about this. This guy is a decorated war hero and, you know, had was injured by an IED in either Iraq or Afghanistan. He's committed his life to service to his country. And, of course, that's intolerable to Donald Trump. So Donald Trump is attacking him. When you think about it, it's just extraordinary. And meanwhile... One of the national security aides for Mike Pence, who has some firsthand knowledge of what happened, is testifying before Congress. So there's that. Bill Barr, it turns out, according to uh, reporting by uh, Matt Sapowski and Josh Dawsey and Carol Linig over at the Washington Post, Trump went to Bill Barr and said, will you hold a press conference saying that I didn't do anything wrong on that phone call? I didn't break the law. And Barr said, no, nah, not going to happen. Now, if that's true, and, you know, we'll see, uh, Trump just came out and said that uh, it was, quote, low-life reporters. Yeah, low-life reporters was the phrase that he used, who are reporting that Bill Barr said no. Some of these low-life reporters are saying, no, our reporting is solid. We're good. You know, it's, it's that low-life president who's trying to pull this stuff off. This is interesting. And then, of course, the uh, Roger Stone trial started yesterday. And assistant U.S. attorney, interestingly, his name is Zelensky, sounds like the president of Ukraine. It's not the president of Ukraine. It's the assistant U.S. attorney, Aaron Zelensky. He said in his opening statement, and I quote, evidence will show Roger Stone lied to the House Intelligence Committee because the truth looked bad. The truth looked bad for the Trump campaign and the truth looked bad for Donald Trump. And uh, 
one of the, in fact, one of the emails that Roger Stone sent out was titled, I have an idea to save Trump's ass. Call me, please. <laughs> Another was, tell Mueller to go F himself. It just goes on like that. All of this strongly suggests that Donald Trump himself and his written answers to Robert Mueller lied. That he did the same thing that Bill Clinton did when Bill Clinton said, no, I didn't have sex with that woman. That Donald Trump lied like that, only in this case to Robert Mueller, and thus, you know, indirectly to the FBI and all these other agencies. And that's a, that's a pretty strong thing. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton got impeached for that. So it's like, you know, the list is growing. Quid pro quo. This is, I think, a very substantial thing. I mean, the, this is the favorite phrase that the media is using right now is quid pro quo. And Donald Trump is using it and the Republicans are using it. And there's a reason why they're using it, because it's Latin. It's not English. <laughs> and they don't want to describe what Trump did in English. They want to describe it in Latin. And I'll bet if you walked up to 30 or 40 random people on the street and stuck a microphone on their face and said, what does quid pro quo mean? They'd go, I don't have a clue. Quid is Latin for this and quo is Latin for that. And pro is one leads to another. In other words, four. A quid pro quo is Latin for this for that. Now, why is that a bad thing? Well, actually, what we're talking about here is not quid pro quo, this for that. I mean, you know, if you walk into a store and buy a candy bar and give the clerk a dollar and he gives you your candy bar, that's quid pro quo, right? That's this for that. I, you know, I gave you a dollar, I got my candy bar. Now, what we're talking about is bribery and extortion. And there are specific laws against bribery and extortion. And in both bribery and extortion, what happens is somebody offers or receives or demands a thing of value in exchange for a particular behavior. And they are doing it in a way that is essentially inherently corrupt. The definition of extortion is a quote, threatened force, violence, or fear. Now that's, you know, the, what we typically think of with regard to criminal extortion. It's like the stuff the mob does, threatened force, violence, or fear. Or under color of official right. This is the law, this is from the Hobbes Act, the law against extortion. Under a color of official right means using your official capacity as a government official to provide the quo, right, the that, the thing that you're offering. But what do, we, what do you want for this? Well, I want you to look into Joe Biden, or I want you to look into Burisma, or I want you to prove that Russia didn't hack the 2016 election, it was somebody in Ukraine. In fact, it was the Democratic Party running a server out of Ukraine that hacked themselves. This is literally the story that Sean Hannity has been peddling since 2016, and Trump has been peddling since he was elected. And it turns out that the guy who started this story in the United States and inside the Republican Party was Paul Manafort, who's in prison right now for tax evasion around the skeezy stuff that he was doing in Ukraine. But Democrats need to stop calling this quid pro quo. It's like, what the hell does that mean? That's, that's why Trump loves that phrase. It's extortion and bribery. Bribery is basically, you know, friendly extortion. Bribery is, hey, do this for me and I'll do this for you. And one of those this is is illegal. Withholding military aid that Congress has appropriated for another country, withholding that contingent on getting help in your own election, that's criminal.
That's bribery. Threatening the other country by withholding it is also extortion. So let's start calling this what it is. It's bribery and extortion. Somebody please tell the Democrats. You know, CBD is great stuff. It doesn't get you high, but it sure does do a good job in your body. Uh, we've been using New Leaf Naturals CBD oil for a while now. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it great for people who want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. And it's, it's non-toxic. Plus, it has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand that we use is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-LeafNaturals.com and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to NULeafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-LeafNaturals.com, newleafnaturals.com. Tom in uh, Aurora, Colorado, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Tom, what's up? My curiosity really is that are we not or are we ignoring the impeachment process as it should be extended to include the vice president, the secretary of uh, state, and the rest? I mean, they were all in on this phone call. Do we not have the ability to go after them concomitantly? I think we could. Let's take them one at a time. You know, going after Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, that's, you know, pretty high on the list. The odds are, though, that he's going to resign very soon anyway. It looks like the Secretary of State and his staff are going to be the ones who take the fall for Donald Trump increasingly. Uh So it's probably not worth the effort. Going after Bill Barr, trying to impeach the Attorney General, that would be a fine idea, in my opinion, but frankly, that's going to happen. But going after Mike Pence, that's kind of the, the, you know, the gold ring in a way, and it's also the third rail in a way. And the reason why is that if the Democrats go after Pence at the same time that they're going after Trump, if they bundle this impeachment into, you know, a two for one kind of thing, the the Republicans are going to say, oh, that means you want Nancy Pelosi to be president. And frankly, I don't think Nancy Pelosi even wants Nancy Pelosi to be president. And certainly you don't want to hand the Republicans that talking point. It would be a freak out at the level of too much of an assault. It would break the sound barrier. Politically speaking. Yes, I understand that. Yeah, like I say, they all need to be held accountable. We know what the problem is. Let's see if we can make it work. Yeah, I'm with you. Tom, thanks for the call. Diane in Fort White, Florida. Hey, Diane, what's up? Well. You have an alternative to Facebook, it says here? I do. What's it's that? It's called Liker. L-I-K-E-R? L-I-K-E-R. Okay, and what is it? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Well, because I had such a horrible experience with Facebook mm-hmm. that no. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone else knows about Liker, please let us know. Okay. Well, I don't. You know, I don't know anything about that, so I'm. You know, I can't obviously promote something I don't understand. But, but it seems to me that there's a business opportunity here, and. I really need to reach out to the guy who started DuckDuckGo, you know, the search engine that doesn't track you and that has some 
sponsored content on it, just like Google does. So they're making money and suggest that they start a Facebook, only a Facebook, you know, a competitor to Facebook, only a competitor to Facebook that instead of having an ad-based revenue model, has a revenue model, you know, that's based on, on, um, on uh, subscriptions. I mean, you know, and make it very inexpensive. You know, it, it, clearly it's still going to be something largely for Americans. I realize there's people all over the world who literally could not afford $2 a month, you know, for a subscription to something like Facebook. But it need not be a lot of cash, you know, 10 or $15 a year. But I think that there's a huge business opportunity there. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's up? I actually see a symmetry of provocation between the ramping up of violence and, believe it or not, uh, articles of impeachment. 2015, I being in the street all the time, I noticed white men getting together more and more and more anger, more everything. I called in in 2016, the summer, and was the person that said that Trump was going to win because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also the person that is saying, stop arguing with Trumpsters because of the events and the stories that you're hearing today and that's sort of the the way it should go um and uh like david k johnson says this trump trumpism is worse than you think the very good time to vote by mail okay uh stop arguing with these people tying that into the formal articles of impeachment i believe that trump has totally been provoking the trumpsters are provoking us to do our worst to bring out our bad side to touch not the goodness but some of the some of the uglier things within and since the middle ground of the country uh politically does not does not support impeachment and obviously the Democrats like myself, or not like myself, because I don't support that, but uh, Democrats are like 80% to impeach, Republicans are 80% don't impeach. The middle ground is very, is not decided and not solid enough, and I think Pelosi knows this. And so my position is don't take the provocation and think very, very carefully before you file formal articles of impeachment think Pelosi knows this. this oh, we've got to have public hearings, Robin. I mean, this is this is what we oh. learned from the Nixon impeachment. This is what came out of the Clinton impeachment, is you've got, you, you have to have public hearings. Thanks for the call. Robin in Apache Junction, Arizona. Hey, Robin, what's on your mind today? Two questions on impeachment. One, if he's impeached in the House and not um, ruled on in the Senate. Not convicted in the Senate. At that point, does he retain all of his king powers again? Yeah. yeah. He never loses them until he's, until he's convicted in the Senate, which has never happened in our history. And so just like Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, if he's impeached in the House and not convicted in the Senate, he just keeps on being president. And by the way, he declares victory. Of course he does. And also, if the, if the House censures him... Can they make stipulations? Where I'm getting at is the pardon power. Mm-hmm. Wondering if they can stipulate, no, you can't pardon. This, we're taking that if, away. If from he you. is That's not convicted I'm- in the Senate, the pardon power is in the Constitution. So it's not something that is discretionary to Congress. 
And uh, so if he's not convicted in the Senate, then after the proceeding is over, he can pardon Manafort. He can pardon anybody. He, you know, Michael Flynn is obviously, you know, trying to hustle a pardon here. He can pardon his children and, uh, and son-in-law in advance. I don't know if he can pardon himself. I'm pretty sure he can't. But if he pardons enough people around him, I mean, this is what George Herbert Walker Bush did in 1992. He himself was looking at the possibility of going to federal prison for the Iran-Contra right. thing. And so what Bill Barr advised him to do was to pardon everybody involved in it, and that way there would be no witnesses against him. And that's exactly what George Herbert Walker Bush did, and that's how he got out of going to jail for Iran-Contra. So that's what's going on. i got to move along here. Thank you for the call, Robin. So Rand Paul is out there. This is the new shtick. Trump should be able to confront his accuser. In other words, the whistleblower. And Rand Paul is wrong, right? The Sixth Amendment says you can confront your accusers in a court of law. It doesn't say that you could just like, you know, walk up to somebody who says you committed a crime. What I think is going on here is Rand Paul and Donald Trump are trying to intimidate other whistleblowers in government. What they're saying, what they're saying to people at the EPA, what they're saying to people at the Department of Interior, what they're saying to people at the Internal Revenue Service. And by the way, there was a whistleblower at the IRS. We're still not hearing anything about that that has to do with Trump's taxes. What they're saying to people at the Department of Treasury, what they're saying to people at the Federal Communications Commission and the Securities Exchange Commission and and the Federal Elections Commission, what they're saying to government employees in all of these administration-run departments is if you tell the truth about what the Trump administration is up to, we are going to destroy your life. We're going to out you publicly. You're going to get the Christine Blasey Ford treatment where you get death threats and you have to move two or three times and you have to delete all your social media and your life gets turned upside down. You may even get shot or beat up or have terrible things happen to you. That's what they're saying. And, and the fact that Fox News and right-wing hate radio is, is participating in this is particularly despicable. And the fact that CNN and MSNBC aren't calling it out for what it is, which is witness tampering and intimidation, is despicable. But that's what's going on. It's going on in a big way, by the way. Oh, this is amazing. Republicans have been busted paying a for-profit company that does telemarketing and stuff like that. They paid them to jam the phone lines of House Democrats. 11,000 phone calls over the course of a week or two to three dozen House Democrats to shut down their phones and to yell at them about impeachment. This is the Republican Party. This was described, there was a dinner, it was an off-the-record Republican dinner with advisors and elected officials. In fact, it was called the off-the-record dinner. And uh, this, from the New York Times, two people briefed on the effort, said, quote, the Republican National Committee paid to generate thousands of calls to the congressional offices of nearly three dozen House Democrats in recent weeks, an effort that was aimed at both shaping opinion around the impeachment inquiry and tying up the phones of the elected officials. A a federal appeals court, a three-judge panel, 
ruled that Donald Trump, in fact, does have to turn over his tax returns to the state of New York. Cyrus Vance Jr., the the uh, prosecuting attorney or attorney general or whatever his title is for Manhattan District Attorney, that's his title, had subpoenaed those records in the, the context of a criminal tax evasion case that they are you know, looking at to see if what's up with Trump. Trump just lost in court. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is that means now he could end bonk the entire court to sit and judge on this, or it could just immediately get kicked up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court then could either choose to take it right away, you know, like on an emergency basis, like they did with Bush v. Gore back in the day, um, or they could say, yeah, we'll think about it maybe next year. And, and then, you know, we still don't get to see Trump's taxes and, and learn how broke he is. I'm telling you, though, he is broke, broke, broke. Or he wouldn't be trying to sell his, his, uh, his hotel in Washington, D.C. It's his only profitable hotel, as far as anybody can tell. And, uh, you know, of course, we don't really know because we don't have his tax returns. And, and he's uh, changed his legal residence to Florida, which is uh, something that wealthy people do when they're on the verge of bankruptcy. Because in Florida, you can put uh, virtually an unlimited amount of money into your home and uh, have that survive bankruptcy. I don't know, I don't know how to say it other, you know, better other than that. Mind-boggling reporting from the Daily Mail is kind of, you know, kind of a staple of British media. And the Daily Mail a while ago bought a magazine called The Spectator, which is a 190-year-old conservative British weekly magazine that principally focuses on, on politics and on current events. So this report came from The Spectator. And I haven't seen it really migrate anywhere else. But, um, you know, hang on, because this may well turn into a huge big thing. And, and the, the article actually uses a, a, a somewhat different frame than I think probably they should have, but the article is called Seven Whistleblowers. It's, it's over at spectator.us. And they say, a source tell us that uh, House Democrats trying to impeach Donald Trump have no less than seven intelligence whistleblowers. So you've got the original whistleblower that Trump is trying to punish by outing him so that, you know, Christine Blasey Ford, her life is still not back to normal. She's still getting death threats. He wants to punish the whistleblower. You know, how dare you out my administration kind of thing. And, you know, Devin Nunes and all these Republicans are trying to do the same thing. But anyhow, so you've got that whistleblower. Then you've got Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who testified, he's a whistleblower, only he's, you know, a public, with a public face. There's Tim Morrison, the National Security Council's Director for European and uh, Russian Affairs. He testified before Congress as three whistleblowers. But the other four are real interesting. We don't know who they all are. But according to this report, one of them is saying that there was a call and this is another one of these Trump calls that goes into the safe, right? And I guess, you know, the question around all this, what is the state of our democracy and how do we recover this if Jared Kushner in the White House okayed, told Mohammed bin Salman, yeah, fine, go after Khashoggi. I mean, that's, that's what's being alleged here, essentially that Kushner gave the green light to MBS, to the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, to arrest Jamal Khashoggi, 
He didn't necessarily greenlight Khashoggi's murder. I mean, I, I, I doubt he knew that that's what, how it was going to end up. But, but, you know, arresting him and shipping him back to Saudi Arabia is kind of functionally the same thing. And Turkish intelligence obtained an intercept of the call between Kushner and MBS, according to this report. And so if this is true, and Kushner said to MBS, yeah, go ahead and, and take out Khashoggi, or at least go ahead and arrest Khashoggi. According to this report, that is what Erdogan said to Trump when he called Trump and Trump said, OK, fine, we'll pull our troops out of Syria, which he did within a day or two. Remember, it was like a Friday night phone call and Trump said, OK, fine. And on Saturday or Sunday, he announced we were pulling out. And on Monday, we were pulling out and everybody's like, what the hell is going on? Well, it sounds like, I mean, if this, if this whistleblower is accurate, and if this source for the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom and the Spectator magazine, these two, you know, well-respected news publications are asserting that the president of Turkey, President Erdogan, essentially was blackmailing Donald Trump. And if that's the case, that's mind-boggling. The state of our democracy is precarious, shall we say? Second source says this is true and adds this crucial, crucial twist to the story. This source claims that Turkish intelligence obtained an intercept of the call between Kushner and MBS, and President Erdogan used that intercept. Remember, Erdogan had bugged the Saudi embassy. Our members of Congress have actually listened to the tape of Khashoggi being murdered. Right? I mean, that tape is out there. Of him saying, you know, you know, stop choking me, I have asthma, I can't breathe, and then, and then he's dead. And then, you know, we hear him struggling, and then we hear him being sawed, you know, his body being chopped into pieces. Erdogan was the one who made that tape public. So if Erdogan also has a tape recording of Kushner talking to Mohammed bin Salman, perhaps via the Saudi embassy in Turkey, that's my guess, is that that's how the call got routed. It got routed through the, through the Turkish embassy because that's where Khashoggi was going to go. And MBS was on the call, you know, like a conference call of some kind. If Erdogan has that tape and he's using it to essentially blackmail Donald Trump, you know, we've got a serious problem in this country. And I, you know, I have seen no verification of this story beyond these two sources, The Spectator and The Daily Mail. And these are both British sources. They're quoting what they say are, so far, anonymous whistleblowers, but that's what's going on. If this story in The Daily Mail and The, and the Spectator is accurate, that Jared Kushner told his, his good buddy, he, you know, he, he goes to Saudi Arabia, these guys stay up until the wee hours of the night talking, they talk on the phone all the time. Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, the guy who runs the country. If it's true that Kushner told him, yeah, go ahead, take out Khashoggi, whether he realized or not that Mr. Bonesaw was going to, you know, kill him, then Erdogan, the president of Turkey, gets a copy of this phone call, gets, a, gets the recording of the phone call, just like he has the recording of Khashoggi being murdered, right? He's, he's clearly got the, the Saudi embassy in Turkey bugged, because this all took place in Turkey. This all happened in Turkey. That's where Khashoggi was murdered. So Erdogan has the recording. 
that could land Jared Kushner in prison for the rest of his life and reflect very, very poorly on the Trump administration. He calls up Donald Trump and he says, listen, I got this recording, and if you don't do what I say, I'm going to release it. And what I say you have to do is you have to pull U.S. forces out of northern Syria right now and let Turkish forces come in to this Kurdish region and, and empty out the cities of the Kurds who've lived there for, for hundreds or thousands of years. And we're going to relocate good Turks into those houses and into those cities. And we're going to take over their businesses and we're going to take over everything. And just consider the consequences of this. This is a piece from the Washington Post. This is by Louisa Lovelock, Dateline from Derek, Syria. And she writes, as the final hours of a ceasefire, this is from the middle of last week, as the final hours of a ceasefire in northeastern Syria wound down on Tuesday, dread descended on a region once shielded by the United States. In towns and cities, and just imagine if this was you, right? Just imagine if, if your home, if your town had just been given to another country that was coming in with guns and they would kill you if you didn't leave your home. Think, you know, just consider what life must be like for these people. In towns and cities, families debated and sometimes fought over whether and where to run. Selling their houses to pay for the help of unpredictable smugglers was one option. Moving closer to the Iraqi border with thousands of refugees that already crossed and then praying the violence wouldn't follow was another. A young student, Marwa, on the Syrian border town of Derek, said to me, how do you decide what to do? Do we wait? Do we leave? There are no good options. None. Uh, this is uh, another quote. This is uh, Jawan, 34. She was standing in Derek's clothing bazaar holding his nine-month-old daughter. He, I guess, Jawan. He said, the men feel strong, the women and children are scared, and nobody knows what's coming. This is bigger than us, really. America was meant to protect us, but that's done now, so I guess we'll just wait. And then one man in a clinic on Monday, again talking to this reporter, said, so are they leaving us for oil? We heard for years that all America cared about was oil, but we didn't believe it. We thought the Americans were our friends. This has occurred. Now what do we have left? I mean, people literally are dying as a consequence of this decision by Donald Trump. And it looks like it might have been done, according to these two newspapers, these two British newspapers, and you know, I, I would love some corroboration on this, but it looks like it was done because... Erdogan was blackmailing Donald Trump. As mind-boggling as that may sound, it seems like that's the way it was going. You're listening to Tom Hartman. People are always asking me, is the X chair really as comfortable as you say? And my answer is always yes. In fact, I probably don't do a good enough job describing just how great that chair feels, so, or this chair. So take my advice, get one and feel it for yourself. Thanks to the X-Chair's 30-day, no questions asked, guarantee of complete satisfaction, you have no risk. So if you're wondering if what I say is true, try it for yourself. Once you feel the X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, their DVL, you'll understand exactly why I love my X-Chair so much. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you, the X-Basic or X1 through X4. The X-Chair can fit your body and your budget. X-Chair is now on sale for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com. Or call 1-844-4X-Chair. 
Go to xchair.com now and use the code WHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X Wheels with your X Chair. xchairtom.com. That's xchairthom.com or call 1 844 4X Chair. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Hey, not too much, Tom. I essentially wanted to agree with you, but um, I'll just put a little nuanced point on some things. Um, yeah, the pro- blackmail probably was happening, but blackmail by Erdogan and Trump is like two mafiosos, you know, yeah. <laughs> trying to influence one another. Okay, and it, in other words, it's a small piece of it. What concerns me more is this um, illusion you gave to an October surprise. And some people might say, well, why, do I, why does Dave care about an October surprise? Well, because I think in this, this environment that Trump has created, this international uh, uh, geopolitical environment, an October surprise can really go sideways in the World War III. Okay. Yes. It's going to go. It's going to get and out. We've of already seen Republicans do this twice. We saw Nixon do it to to uh, uh, to Hubert Humphrey to LBJ, and and we saw you know the Reagan campaign. Bill Casey was apparently the engineer of this, uh, and, and in fact, the day he was supposed to testify to Congress, he had a seizure in his office at the CIA and was taken off to Bethesda, where they removed the part of his brain that controls speech. They kind of cut out his tongue. And so he never had to testify. And then, of course, you know, five guys were convicted for this in the Iran-Contra thing. And in 92, Bill Barr was the attorney general, and he advised George Bush, the elder, to pardon them all to shut down the investigation, which is exactly what happened. So we've seen these October surprises where basically a Republican committed treason to become president happened twice that we're pretty sure we know of. We know for sure about the Nixon one. We've got the tapes. And, there's, and, we, and according to the president of Iran, we know about the, 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 the Reagan one. So, Dave, what is it that could go sideways that most concerns you as a former intelligence officer? Well, I, again, I'm going to bring back uh, George Bush into the conversation. I know he's been completely, you know, you know, he's been completely redeemed. But the problem is, after the Gulf fiasco, what we did in Iraq, okay, most the first time, oil, Bush, George Bush, the elders, first Gulf War. That's the one no, you're talking George about. Bush, the younger. Oh, George okay. Bush, so, the younger. Okay, okay. So, okay. So I was in Beijing. Yeah, I was in Beijing at the um, oil refinery, okay? There's a big one in Beijing. And during that time period, that was a big recruiting place for Al-Qaeda and 200 other franchise terrorist organizations, okay? This thing, just simultaneously, everyone forgets, China and Russia were securing all the natural gas and oil contracts out of Iraq through a fair capitalist bidding process. We didn't sweat it because guess what? This is, this is the United States of America. We control all the land. Okay, we control all the land. So this is where what I see Moscow doing, and you brought it up once. You hinted to it, it with Saudi Arabia and, and the, you know paying American forces. This whole mercenary thing nobody's paying attention to. Flynn always, Mike Flynn always promoted this big expansion of Blackwater or XE, whatever you want to call it. The reason why the Russians and Chinese want this so bad is they want to get boots on the ground. They want to be able to control the land or the oil they own. All right? And this is where an October surprise can start out just as a political machination, right? But pretty soon, Russia and China, they may not be satisfied with just getting Donald Trump in there. They may want something either us or our allies will not relinquish. 
like maybe some sort of oil um, off the coast of the Arctic Ocean that goes into Canada. Oh, yeah. The receding, yeah. the receding Arctic. I mean, pretty soon they're going to want something that we are not going to or our, our and, you're, and, you're, and you're saying something bigger than Russia wanting Ukraine or China wanting Taiwan. Although those either yeah. either of those could be World War Three flashpoints, too. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, I mean, if you own Tom, you just got to think about it in common sense. If you own something. All right. And somebody else, somebody else controls your access to it. All right. You're going to try to erode that control. I mean, you're going to. You're going to try to get to what you own. All right. So you have positive control over it. And Donald Trump is simply an authoritarian. He went to an ultimate fighting championship this weekend, not getting much media attention. I mean, Vladimir Putin did rap. I mean, him and Putin, they're like identical twins. I sometimes wonder, you know, you know, why people can't see this. But the problem is America, if America goes this route, I'm not saying we're superior to anybody. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is we're like France during the French Revolution. All right? mm-hmm. If we go this route, there's going to be huge global instability that might last for centuries. We don't even know. What's different between France and the French Revolution and now are the weapons we have access to. I mean, I say it might last century. It might only last minutes, if you get my understanding, yes. if you get what I'm well, trying to say. A nuclear war would probably just last minutes and would be absolutely devastating. Yeah, I, I am very concerned. I'm also very concerned. If it turns out that Kushner actually did authorize what turned out to be the killing of Khashoggi by MBS in the Turkish embassy, and Erdogan knows it and is blackmailing Trump with it, and that's why we pulled our forces out of Syria. That's one of probably multiple things for which the Trump crime family can be blackmailed. And so who's going to blackmail them next? You know, who's Erdogan going to, whose door is he going to knock on? Is it going to be Moscow's or is it going to be Beijing's? Is he going to go to President Xi and say, hey, I've got something you can use on Trump? And suddenly Trump is like, oh, yeah, okay, trade is just fine. You know, no more no more tariffs. And, uh, or, you know, I mean, or... Is Trump going to somehow blunder into something or be forced into something that triggers, like you said, World War III? Or even just, I mean, we don't have to go to the worst case scenario, just a war, just a regional war. Yeah, well, let me put you this way, Tom. Do you think the authorities in Riyadh, do you think they are so incompetent that they just killed uh, this Khashoggi guy and on, on foreign soil, Turkey? It's foreign to them, right? Right. They killed him. So uh, grotesquely and so incompetently, it could have been done by, say, I don't know, Saddam Hussein. There's no way they're that incompetent. They just simply did not care. Uh, They were sending a message with this death of Khashoggi, okay? Mm. And did Kushner have a heart in sending that message? Oh, he might be like you said. You know, he may not have known they were going to you know, do that, do that much. He may have just thought they were going to arrest him. But the bottom line is, it's not the way uh, we're supposed to abide by laws in this country. That's one of the things that make us the last remaining superpower. We're all subject to the same laws, right? At least in theory, yes. At least in theory. And this is what I'm saying. It's more than just me complaining. All right, about unfairness. What I'm saying is it goes, it it, it takes the last remaining superpower in the world and makes us nothing really more than just a kleptocracy somewhere. You just pick a place. Yeah. 
Yeah, just a, just another... Uh, and a republic. Yeah, exactly. And it empowers all these other autocrats around the world, you know, from, from Duterte to Bolsonaro and in between, and everybody in between. It, it makes them feel like, oh, you know, well, if America does it, I can do it too. Dave, thank you for the call. So I always appreciate your insights. Good to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Bloomberg reports there's an increasing number of people concerned about their wealth due to the fear we may be entering a larger economic crisis than 2008. If you've been paying attention, you know the Dow recently had its sixth largest point loss in history, and the stock market continues to show extreme volatility. Meanwhile, central bank gold purchases have risen to a six-decade high, sending gold prices higher. CNBC and the World Gold Council reports Russia and China are swapping out U.S. dollars from their own portfolios, investing in safer, more liquid assets like gold. And what makes things even more suspicious, the U.S. Federal Reserve reportedly holds the most gold of all central banks. What's everyone getting ready for? If you share the gut feeling that something is soon to go south with the global economy, call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Proper gold and silver strategy will help secure your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Gold. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-OWNGOLD. Darvin in Effingham, Illinois. Hey, Darvin, what's up? Hey, Tom. I enjoy your show. Thank you. On the Trump connection with Turkey, I think we ought to start back and when the Russian diplomat was killed on international TV. Wait a minute, and remind perhaps, me about that. I tell All me right, story when again. the Russian diplomat was shot by a so-called Turkish policeman. This was in Turkey, uh, they, a Russian diplomat was killed? Yes, Andrei yes. Andrei Karlov, was that the guy's name? Yes. Okay. I think perhaps there was something related to Trump in that episode. When exactly did that happen? Was that early in the well, that was early in the Trump administration, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Huh. Yes. And the other question I wanted to ask you about: uh-huh. uh, Who do you think turned off Jeffrey Epstein? Who? Yeah, who killed him? That's a really good question. And the guy who did the second autopsy, who's coming forward and saying, "No, this is this looks like manual strangulation. This does not look like suicide." You know, on the one hand. Uh, you know, yeah, that makes a certain amount of sense. And having two, both prison guards fall asleep at the same time that the camera gets turned off or stops working magically, too many stars aligned for that, right? I, it's really hard to, to buy that, that Epstein committed suicide under those circumstances. Uh, or maybe that's, that's what they did so that his suicide wouldn't get caught on camera and, and therefore he couldn't be stopped. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but um, I'm guessing that if he was killed, that, you know, the, the question isn't so much who killed him. It was probably one of those guards or maybe both of those guards together. And, you know, in four or five years, suddenly they're going to be living on an island in, you know, in Tahiti or something. Um, but um, who, who ordered the hit? I mean, people get killed yeah. in prison all the time because somebody orders the hit. And, you know, was it a member of the Trump crime family who ordered the hit? Or was it somebody that Epstein had screwed? You know, he had a bunch of skeezy business partners. He was doing business with organized crime. 
I don't know the answers to any of those questions, Darwin, but I really think that these are the kind of things that would produce some very, very fruitful investigations if, if Congress decided that they wanted to do it. Darwin, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. With us now, Congressman Mark Pocan. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website is pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So great having this national town hall meeting with us. Ambassador Sondland, or Sondland, however you say it, testified or updated his testimony, shall we say, uh, yesterday. The media keeps calling this a quid pro quo. I call it bribery and extortion, and I think Democrats need to start using those words. Or attempted bribery and extortion, a lawyer called earlier to say, hey, you should put attempted in there. Okay, fine. Right. But anyhow, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on what's going on here. And that apparently next week, Wednesday and Friday next week, will be the first public testimony. Right, right. So uh, this is moving along very swiftly, like we had been told. What we found with Ambassador Sondland's testimony, I think, is especially significant in that what we're finding is this is a guy who is not the deep state, so to speak, right? This is where Trump has been saying all these professionals at the State Department somehow are deep state officials and you can't trust them. But this is a guy who gave a million dollars to Trump's inaugural, and clearly it's a, a real issue. So I, I think this is, Sondland, you've got someone who is a Trump loyalist who's saying the exact same thing that everyone else said. So, I mean, we are at a point where it is crystal clear what the president did. And I think, to your point, you're right. You know, saying government terms or saying things in legal terms that don't mean something in the real world uh, doesn't necessarily help. What he did was think he's above the law. He broke the law. That's significant. Some 11,000 phone calls were made to fewer than three dozen progressive Democrats in an attempt to tie up their phone lines. Do, do I have that right? Well, that, and I think also they're trying to influence some of the people who might be more on the fence. I don't think it was just progressives. I think it was. Uh, oh, okay. the, so, and what I'm really trying to encourage DN, people. By the RNC, right? Yeah, exactly. From the the RNC, so it's not like as a shadow group. This is the Republicans trying to influence, obviously, the impeachment process. We have the vote now. We know where all the Democrats stood on the impeachment inquiry. What we have to do is continue to make sure they know that they have support from people for what they're doing. So I just want to make sure people know that you're going to have the RNC doing this. We need to be equally active in fighting back. Yeah, there you go. Mindy in Elk Grove, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pokin. Hi, Mindy. Congressman? Hi. Yes, I'm um, I want to talk about the two words, bribery and extortion. I think that is an excellent point that Tom made yesterday and that we should continue to make, but it's still called pro, pro quid pro or something, whatever. It's well, a Latin, Latin term. 95% of Americans don't know what it means. I know. If you're Catholic, you do, though. But I also want to say that I really enjoy you coming on the air as well as the congressman from Palo Alto, California. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. uh, I can't pronounce his name. But anyway, I just want to say, yeah, we should definitely use those terms because the other, I don't think anybody in the South even knows what those words mean. But they do know what bribery means, as well as the word unpatriotic. Mm. I think that's another word that needs to come out because that's what our president has done. Yeah, and shakedown is a good word, too. Mindy, thank you very much for the call.
Yeah, Mindy, you're right. I don't know many people who speak Latin anymore, so that may not be the most effective way to be talking about things. I think another useful way is just saying the president thinks he's above the law. He broke the law, and he thinks that he can and get away with it, because, first of all, that's exactly true, but also I think people understand it. You know, you're watching this repeated pattern by the president of breaking the law, and I think that's another way we can talk about this. Kevin in Santa Fe, New Mexico, listening on KTRC, our, one of our very first radio affiliates, 16 years I think it's been. Kevin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan now. I would like to know if there is any information or backdoor discussions of Mr. Pence's involvement vis-a-vis the reporting of his Poland visit. What did he know and when did he know it and what is his involvement in this extortion bribery scheme? We were talking about this on the air yesterday with some callers. It's becoming more and more evident that Mike Pence is involved in all this and maybe up to his eyeballs. But my concern is that if we were to try to impeach both Trump and Pence at the same time, obviously that would lead to President Pelosi if it was successful. And that would be like handing the Republicans a stick of political dynamite. I'm curious your thoughts on all that. What's happening through Intelligence Committee, a lot of that we don't even know. The conversations they're having until some of the transcripts get released. So I think you know, we have to look through the transcripts as they're coming out. But clearly, there was involvement with Ukraine and uh, Vice President Pence. The question is, was there improper involvement? And I know that's being looked at, but I just don't have direct answers, and nor do I think does the public at this point. You know, I think a, a question people have had is if you wind up uh, going after the president and the vice president, uh, which would make Nancy Pelosi the president, is that going to then become an issue? I don't think we can take political considerations, though, Tom, into place. If the vice president broke the law, I think we'd also have to go after him. But right now, I don't have anything to point to that information. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Kathy in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, um, Tom and Mark um, in your district. I've uh, sent you some faxes about my concerns about the impeachment potentially being so narrowly limited to the Ukraine issue. I have looked at this as being of a piece of the larger Mueller report, which to me is a basis to show a pattern of conduct which includes collusion, I'll say it, and uh, obstruction of justice and and a whole lot of other things. And what concerns me, if we're going to talk about a quid pro quo or or bribery or extortion or whatever, we also have to look at Trump's behavior as regards Russia. Everything he has done has been a gift to Russia, denying the absolute fact of Russia's interference, catering to Putin in other ways. It's all there. Recently, thank you very much, Dems, for passing uh, good legislation to protect our elections. Trump threatened to veto it. Yeah, I I think, again, on the impeachment question, Nancy Pelosi has said she is open to um, it being broader than just this. But I think this is where the iron is hot, so to speak. Um, This is the information right now that is undeniable that there's growing uh, witnesses and people telling us about the president uh, essentially holding back foreign aid in order to get political dirt on an opponent. That is a breaking the law. And I think if you delay too much on that, that's not a good idea. So I think we are trying to move expeditiously. I think they are still looking at some other provisions, but I think we need to make sure that we're focusing on what is right now in front of us with some urgency 
keeping in mind if there are other things that logically fit in, we can fit those in. Yeah, like having his lawyer pay off a porn star and a Playboy model so that uh, <laughs> he could get elected. Yeah. I mean, in the first place. It's we, we could never run out of that stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, there there's the whole emoluments clause issues. I mean, you, you, there's still everything from the Mueller report, but we've got one real good area right now. Yeah, okay. John in San Francisco listening to 910 Real Talk. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, gentlemen. Given that the White House is probably the most hostile work environment in the country, what can we do to uh, broaden the uh, impeachment inquiry so that it includes uh, Pence, Barr, Pompeo, and the other heads of uh, the offices there? Thanks. Yeah, John, I don't know if that's something they're looking at right now because we're on to something that's really hot. Um, you've got this amazing act of a motive, a crime, a confession, and evidence, and now uh, insurmountable amount of evidence about the president breaking the law. And I think because of that, this is the focus that the public is paying attention to. And the more we divert our ability to get this done, I think potentially it will hurt our ability to, um, at the end of the day, actually uh, get something um, on the president uh, for breaking the law. And this is the only recourse we have is impeachment with him. So I think the focus is there, and I think that's the right focus. And it may include some things beyond what we're immediately talking about, but I, I don't know if starting to include others is the proper direction. Lamont in Clearwater, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Just curious and concerned about Democratic messaging on this, because everybody keeps talking about quid pro quo, and, you know, the Republicans are really good at muddying the waters, and I'm wondering if, uh, Congressman Pocan, you can speak to what the Democratic messaging is going to be, and it's not just an abuse of, uh, abuse of power, but that it's bribery and extortion, and bribery is specifically specified in the Constitution as an impeachable offense. Yeah, and, and Paul, we've been discussing that a little bit this hour. I, again, I think even there's a way to even make it more simple. Um, the president uh, broke the law. He thinks he's above the law, which is why he's acting as he has, and ultimately no one should be above the law, including the president. I mean, those are all really basic values that go across all sorts of political ideology. And if you can now, with all of this evidence, prove it, and we have plenty of evidence to prove it, I think that is a really good concrete message. And not even name specifically, necessarily name the crime, just say he broke the law? I, I think you can get into some of the specifics, but that's going to be evident once they start seeing the public testimony. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Chuck in Birmingham, Alabama. With the Senate being uh, the jury for a possible impeachment, with senators coming out saying that they've already made up their mind or they're not even going to look at evidence, wouldn't they be thrown out of a regular jury? So shouldn't they be thrown out of an impeachment jury as well? Thank you. Good observation, but unfortunately the law just says that they're the ones who are going to make that next determination. You know, I have a senator, uh, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, who was the first person who got the information from Ambassador Sondland with the first time when he said there was quid pro quo and then did nothing with it. He could potentially be a witness and a juror. And a lot of people have said he should recuse himself because of that situation, and uh, I don't think he's going to do that. So your point is well made. So in the last 20 seconds here, what should we be looking for this week 
Next week is going to be interesting when we start getting the public testimony. That's important for people to hear. And make sure you're contacting your elected officials, even the ones you think that agree with you. As we mentioned, 11,000 calls were generated to some you know, members of Congress. They're trying to make them squishy on this issue from the Republicans. Uh, we need to support them and say thank you for that vote on the impeachment inquiry. Stay strong. There you go. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom, as great, always. Great talking with you. Congressman Mark Pocan. Again, his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Michael in Bangor, Maine. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? I just wanted to challenge you a bit on the notion that Trump has committed the actual crimes of either bribery or extortion. Okay. I, I will accept the premise that he can be impeached for the behavior that he did based on the understanding of the concept of high crimes and misdemeanors, which does not require a crime. Right. It's simply maladministration. Yes. And for that, I mean, all you have to do is look at the Interior Department, the EPA, uh, you know, his failure to enforce the law. I would say that probably one of the most impeachable things he's done is his failure to enforce laws. For example, Obamacare. Obamacare is the law of the land, and yet he has dialed back on a whole bunch of things that are actually built into the law, like, you know, making it accessible to people and available to people and keeping the website working and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and in fact, there is, by the way, if I may, Michael, just for one second, there's one other thing that I wanted to share with people with regard to that. Here we go. There's 39 open enrollment days for Obamacare left. 67% of healthcare.gov customers find plans for $10 a month or less. In 10 states, at least 75% of people can find plans for $10 a month or less. And nearly 9 in 10 people who go through healthcare.gov qualify for financial assistance. So get over there. So anyhow, back to you, Michael. You, you, uh, you're saying that Trump is not guilty of bribery or extortion. I would say we, you know, from the available evidence. Based on the evidence that... You know, so based on the evidence today, it's not even a ponderance, and I'll tell you why. I mean, the key point. Yeah. Now, as a political matter, you're not going to have Zelensky, and you're not going to have the other people who uh, are material witnesses from the Ukraine actually testifying, although we know Zelensky has said he never felt he was being pressured. He did not even know that the money was being withheld before conversation with Trump. That's or actually even not true, it. Michael. It's been okay, roundly debunked. I've heard. That assertion has been debunked. He knew about this in either April or June. He knew about this long before the July 25th phone call. He knew that the financial support was being withheld. The president of Ukraine. We know that now for a fact. But do you, are you telling me that he didn't say what I said, even if you think it's he been debunked? He did say, I mean, keep in mind, this is a guy who has had 11 thousand of his people, of his countrymen and of his soldiers killed in a shooting war conflict with the country next door, with Russia. He's had 11,000 people killed. And he's asking the United States for anti-tank weapons because it's tanks principally that they're using to come after his people. And the United States is withholding that aid. And the one guy who has the authority to say, send him the money or send him more money in the future is Donald Trump. And so Donald Trump makes it very clear that he never pressured him. Donald Trump says this publicly. And then the press goes to Zelensky and says, well, did he pressure you? And Zelensky's faced with a choice. He can diss Donald Trump and say, yeah, I felt pressured and have maybe justice, but lose his missiles and have another 11,000 of his citizens die. 
or he can say, no, I didn't feel any pressure and hope that Trump will be nice to him in the future. Talk about a statement under duress, Michael. Come on, you're an attorney. You understand what that is. Tom, that's a narrative that that could be made as an argument during the trial in the Senate. But the fact is, is that if it is, if, if he is not challenged in testimony and credibility in the Senate, you're going to line it all up on political lines. You no, don't have a we know argument. for a fact a political that, argument. that Ukraine and the president of Ukraine knew at the time that Trump was withholding this aid. And they knew why. We're learning, by the way, as Ambassador Taylor's testimony, transcript of his testimony is coming out and people are reading through it. We're discovering that we were just a day or two away, maybe a week away at most, from the president of Ukraine giving in to Donald Trump's demand that he go on CNN and say that he was investigating Joe Biden's son, and thus by inference Joe Biden. That apparently President Zelensky was ready to do it, had reached out to CNN, and if the whistleblower hadn't come forth and said, here's what's going on, and if that hadn't grabbed the news cycle, then Zelensky was going to do it. I mean, he had no choice. He, uh, Trump was extorting him. This was a criminal bribery and extortion plot being run by the President of the United States in order to game the 2020 election to help him get himself reelected. And Ukraine was right on the edge of going along with it, and the whistleblower saved the day, which might give you some, you know, now understanding why Donald Trump Jr. yesterday tweeted out what he thought was the name of the whistleblower. Breitbart is going after the whistleblower by name, naming this guy, who he is, where he lives, what he does. CIA analyst, 33-year-old CIA analyst. We still don't know if this is the actual whistleblower or not. But Don Jr. and, you know, the rest of the Trump crime family, they're doing absolutely everything they can to say to anybody who works in the federal government. You know, if you work for the Trump organization, you sign a non-disclosure agreement that says that if you say something, if you speak out of turn, we can sue you for millions of dollars. If you work in the federal government and you say something, we will out you. And right-wing trolls will chase you, haunt you, hunt you, and maybe even kill you. I mean, this is not the a secret. They knew, is, they how knew do we know they lied? Unless you and and they knew why. They knew that Rudy Giuliani was, Zelensky was asked to do two things. And this was long before the July 25th phone call. Number one, he had to make a public statement that they were investigating the Bidens. And number two, he had to offer some sort of credible proof to them that it was a Ukrainian organization or people inside Ukraine who hacked, uh, operating on behalf of the Democratic Party, who hacked the Democratic server and not the, the Russians, and thus absolved the Russians of, of guilt in this, and also, uh, you know, essentially say, and by the way, Donald Trump didn't get elected with Russian help. Obviously, it was the Democrats who did this to themselves. Those were the two things that he, was, that he knew he had to do, and he refused to do either one of them, by the way. Therefore, so he wasn't extorted. That's a problem. Well, for you. maybe, maybe in terms not. Of a I mean, legal if, case. if you walk into a bank tomorrow, Michael, and you pull out a gun and you point it at the teller and say, "You know, I'd like, I'd like you to give me all your cash," and the teller has a horrified look on her face, and so you put that gun back in your pocket and you say, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. I just came here to deposit a check." Have you committed a crime? You've maybe committed attempted extortion, but you didn't commit extortion. It well, didn't, it didn't so occur. The cycle so, wasn't fixed. So you think attempting a crime is not an impeachable offense? It's not a crime. I, 
I thought attempting a crime, you know, if I walk into I a store and, a I, and, I, and I pick up a, a piece of jewelry and stick it in my pocket, and as I'm walking out toward the door, you know, one of the security guards comes up and says, I think you got some jewelry in your pocket, and I pull it out and go, oh, geez, I totally forgot to pay for it, hand it to him. Um, he's he can still arrest me. No question. I just said that I agree with you that it's possible that you could prove attempt, but you can't prove extortion, just like you cannot prove theft. You can only prove attempted theft under your example. So let's he didn't complete the cycle. Let's impeach him then for attempted extortion and attempted bribery. I mean, just then you're going to have a real problem politically. Uh, then you're going to have a real problem politically. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, we'll see. And the public hearings are starting next Wednesday and next Friday. And we're going to, you know, the, the whole world is going to see America is going to see Michael. Thank you for the call. And thank you for a civil conversation from somebody who disagrees with me. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 